0: Hello and welcome to another episode of DF Direct Weekly. Uh, I'm John Lineman, and as always, I am joined by two of my most esteemed colleagues. First, coming to us from Berlin, as always, Alex Petalia.
1: Yeah, hey John. very rainy day. I don't know what it's like in Frankfurt,
0: but it's dark. It's fine here, but you know, Mm -hmm. you're the one that had to play that Resident Evil PC port with all those issues, so that's why it's raining, I'd imagine, (laughs) the day after release, but of course, The man of uh, the hour, I guess we could say. Because why not? It's Richard Ledbetter. Here he is.
2: Yes, and I'm joining you from uh, my freshly installed internet connection, Starlink, Elon Musk. I have invited Elon Musk technology into my home, and uh, thus far it's working okay. But, you know, if something happens, then uh, blame Elon.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, maybe maybe we'll get some deep fakes of Richard going up in here that we're not expecting. Like, uh, you know... But hey, uh, let's get into it, though, guys, because we have several fun topics to discuss today. Um, So, and of course, as always, the uh, Patreon-sourced questions at the end, which is always uh, my favorite part of the show. But let's begin. First order of business, PSVR 2 Spec Leak. UploadVR and others have reported on some information regarding the next generation of PSVR from Sony, And it's promising, I would say, quite promising, in fact. Uh, So one of the big things I think for me is the much higher resolution uh, imagery on the screen. Specifically, it's a 4,000 by 2040 screen, so you get 2,000 by 2040 per eye. Uh, And they also discussed, I think, foveated rendering as well with some eye tracking, which is gonna be key because right now, rendering at a resolution that high at the frame rates required for VR is difficult. Um, So I feel like that's a pretty smart move, wouldn't you say, Alex?
1: Yeah, I'd say it is definitely too. Foveated rendering is kind of the end-all be-all of VR uh, because essentially, like John was just describing, it's too, ex- uh, too expensive in terms of rendering and in terms of screen uh, kind of technology to have every bit of the screen have like an incredibly high uh, kind of pixels per inch at that point. So this really helps. The one thing I'm really i um, curious about, about foveated rendering and I don't have any experience with it in VR and it still it does exist I think there's other VR headsets that have it. Um, it is essentially uh, foveated rendering for those who don't know what it is it's a, it's where where your eye would be looking that portion of the screen ideally would get the highest shading rate so one you know shader fragment or whatever per pixel and then the areas where your eyes periphery is, where you can't see that well anyway, um, that's where it gets a lower shading rate and saves on performance. The only thing I don't know about is, well, essentially if the the area out in your periphery vision is lower resolution, that means the aliasing there is higher as well too. I don't actually know what ways VR uh, game developers or programmers have made kind of to get around this issue because I imagine that if you had foveated rendering on, you would see sparkle in your periphery vision more. I don't, Possible. Know, I, don't, I don't know how it works.
0: We're gonna have to wait and see on this because I actually <laughs> yeah. haven't had a chance to use it in practice. I mean, we've seen techniques like this used in flat games, if you will, but doing actual eye tracking and making it fast, that's what I'm curious to see. And I suspect it'll, being that it's an integrated platform, it should work pretty well, I'd imagine.
2: So eye tracking, what's going on there? Are they actually tracking where you're looking, where your eyeballs are pointing?
0: Yeah, it's they call, they say gaze tracking and this is something that's kind of existed for a while in other forms as well um, But yeah, it's essentially like where your eyes are looking. It's kind of tracking that um, I mean, we've even seen things with eye tracking not exactly eye tracking, but like the new 3ds uh, Uses its camera system to sort of monitor where your eyes are pointed and where in position to where you're holding the console to adjust the 3d effect there's that, uh, Alex, what's, what's the name of that? Toby thing that eye can... tracker on Yeah, PC? exactly That's, on PC. Yeah.
1: That can also be used for foveated rendering, but I think it's primarily used for kind of look ahead, like the equivalent of, um, I forget what it's called. Well, it's look ahead. So the screen will move while your eyes move essentially.
0: So I guess the other thing is they also mentioned that they're, they're, they're working on haptic feedback for the headset itself. Which, as far as I know, isn't something we've actually seen attempted before. Because it's a weird idea of actually having something on your head that uh, has haptic feedback. So, I mean, it could be cool. Uh, the, the DualSense is pretty good, so I, I really don't know what to expect there. Yeah, well, uh, I don't of course... know what
2: to expect. It's kind of bizarre, isn't it? I mean, um, <laughs> maybe like a boxing game. Get hit, hit in the head. You get physically, I, into sus- the
0: head. I suspect it's more subtle stuff, like you can imagine, like they <laughs> did in drops. Astro, right? Like raindrops. Yeah. Like that yeah. could actually be really cool to feel That'd that nice. effect. I like yeah. that.
1: I, I agree with John there. I think um, I don't actually like uh, a lot of haptic feedback in games that aren't VR. But in VR, I think it's just because it's so immediate any extra bit of haptic feedback increases the the feeling of the game a lot more. Um, so it would be really interesting to see what if that does exist. I don't know if it is like getting punched in the head, but
0: <laughs> we'll I don't there. think that's that's not really that's feasible. It's yeah. not like, uh, you know, simulating like motion in that sense, no. where it's like, you know, actually able to jerk your head. That would be unsafe, <laughs> I think, and require huge motors. So this is more just like a, I, I assume it's similar to what we have in the dual sense and also what will likely be in the controllers themselves, which we've seen before, and they pretty much look like uh, Oculus controllers, which personally I think is the best design anyway, in terms of overall just playability. Though it seems to have the knuckle sensitivity as um, the valve Valve index, which could be cool. I think, I-, I need to check on that. But the main thing here that was, I guess was confirmed again was just the fact that it's got inside out tracking, like the Oculus which is so important and much better, I think, than stuff like the lighthouse system and the old sensors, and certainly better than the PSVR camera, which was not good for this. But this basically means that you can move around in a 3D space seamlessly. It'll allow full room scale within a PSVR. And all of this is connecting to um, a USB-C cable to the front of the system, which is convenient. Uh, I I think it would have been cool to see wireless, but I can see why maybe that didn't happen, because... There are still limitations there, and I suspect they want to keep the cost in like reasonable territory. And like wireless VR, I think, would have added a lot of cost to the unit, so. I think what's missing from that spec sheet is
2: um, uh, refresh rate. They don't seem to mention what frequency it's running at, which is a bit of a major spec point to omit. I mean, I'm hoping for 120 Hertz, but uh, who knows?
0: I suspect it'll have to be 120 if they want backwards compatibility to be honest, which I think is important. And 120 is already a lot. A lot of the headsets refresh lower than that and it's perfectly fine uh, because they do like low persistence update of screen usually. Not always though, actually. Hopefully it's also still OLED. I, I don't know what kind of screen they're using.
1: Yeah, I would hope they wouldn't downgrade from that. Uh, the one thing I'm also curious about is since there has been patents out there about, okay, so 4 rendering requires a kind of at least uh, like it's, it's not the same as variable rate shading necessarily because the like the way it is decided upon which objects are chosen might be different um, but the, the, the way there are patterns essentially that are like variable rate shading like applied to the playstation 5 and i'm curious if like in the nvidia driver for backwards compatibility games they could uh, allow for an overshading option that will essentially overshade the pixels in backwards compatibility games from like PlayStation 4 uh, VR and then give them a better look without even having to go back into the game and uh, essentially patch them to work with PSVR too. Because you can do that on PC right now and if it's just actually a function of the GPU to overshade a pixel, it actually, I, I think it's totally doable
2: be nice to see that, but um, we haven't really seen much in the way of backwards compatibility enhancements from Sony uh, in standard backwards compatibility. So, you know, Microsoft's did stuff that um, has worked out quite well, I think, like the, uh, well, when it is active, because it's not on all titles, but the 16 times AF. Uh, that is actually a really good feature to have, especially when so many of the old games don't have it. Um, I guess we could actually skip ahead to a bit of a supporter Q&A here, because there's a lot of interest in the, um, in the, in the PSVR too. Um, basically, Cass Miller is asking, um, he'd like to hear our thoughts on the USB-C part. And he's kind of thinking that the USB-C port is a great alternative to the giant breakout box of PSVR which is true. Um, But at the same time, he says, I can't help but feel slightly disappointed that Sony didn't push things farther and go full wireless with it. PS5 actually has a very capable two by two MIMO Wi-Fi 6 system in it. And true wireless VR is what everyone is hoping for. So, John, why do you think they didn't do that?
0: I mean, we kind of already touched on this, but I mean, we had actually speculated that the Wi-Fi chip in there was for this, but I think it's just a matter of cost more than anything else. I mean, that's that's most likely it. Um, and that's a shame. Uh, I can't imagine. I mean, I guess there's also battery life considerations and various other things. And also maybe being full wireless increases the weight of the of the headset itself and keeping the headset light is really nice. Like the Oculus Quest, for instance, I really, I hate using it it's really cool but i find it really uncomfortable compared to like the rift s which is much more comfortable so i don't know um i'm willing to give it wireless if they focus on comfort
2: the question may be reliability uh when you've got a lot of wi-fi traffic in the uh, in the area i mean this is something that sony simply can't have any idea what's going on in your environment so they would have to construct a super robust system for this to work like a to... Wii U gamepad. Well, well yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which was super robust.
2: And uh, we had another question here from Will NC. Uh, given the additional demands of rendering in VR, what does the team think is feasibly feasible visually, resolution-wise, on PSVR with something like Resident Evil Village?
0: I mean, Village is already at, you know, effectively 4K, you know, so... Uh, I think it'll be fine. You'll, you'll get pretty high resolutions. Um, And if they really embrace foveated rendering, that'll definitely cut down on the demands and the GPU as well. Uh, I mean, the big thing here is just eliminating, reducing the screen door effect, which is nice. Oh, one thing I didn't think about though, did they, I don't think they've mentioned what the FOV target is for this. And that's something that that's a big deal because it's something vr has struggled with for a long time is expanding that field of view um and i would like to see that pushed further just to get rid of the effect where you're looking through two holes in a headset essentially
2: yeah yeah i think well going back to resident evil village raid tracing off i suspect there's a huge amount of overhead Um, based on the the RT on versus off differentials we saw on Series S. So, uh, uh, you know, I think we could get a pretty good presentation there. Um, But yeah, um, I think that's one that I'd really like to see. And um, maybe Capcom's just biding their time on that one. But yeah, I think there's a lot of question marks still with uh, PSVR 2 that we need answers to. And I think we've addressed most of them here. Refresh rate, field of view being... Uh, foremost amongst them.
0: Yeah, I think so. And hopefully we'll have a lot more on this soon enough whenever they decide to reveal it. But for now, let's move on to the next topic. Next up, this week it was reported from the Coalition themselves that uh, they are moving to Unreal Engine 5. Kind of as I think people would have expected given their uh, placement within the world of Unreal Engine. Um, so yeah, what do you guys think about this? Uh, it's
1: awesome. Uh, <laughs> just to see yeah. um... <clears> them. <throat> They've always embraced uh, Unreal stuff, usually when a lot of other studios still haven't kind of embraced it. Uh, so I always like to see them push ahead. Uh, there's a lot of questions still about Unreal Engine 5 uh, because their initial targeted video was like, internal resolution wise, uh, like sub 1440p and 30 FPS with uh, and with Lumen being very expensive. So, I and the fact that the Coalition's games The last one, at least, and I'm pretty sure they're going to keep this tradition up, are targeting 60 FPS on the Premiere platform. It will be interesting to see what aspects of Unreal Engine 5 they use in the end, uh, because, you know, Lumen is cool, but it ends up being expensive and getting in the way of 60 FPS. I could imagine a, a developer like the Coalition wanting to do something else.
0: As an aside, Alex, it made me think though. Um, you've spoken a lot with 4A Games. How do you think Lumen compares to their uh, tremendous GI solution that they're doing with ray tracing?
1: Uh, I honestly think what uh, 4A is doing is uh, better, just because uh, just because it has a different uh, it has different constraints, and I think those constraints are just better uh, for fidelity reasons. Uh, Performance wise, we'll end up having to wait to see what 4A's. Uh, performances on console, there, but I think it's also going to be pretty all right. I think we're going to be surprised. targeting
0: 60, right?
1: So. Yeah, they're targeting 60. I'm pretty sure they're going to hit it, um, especially with like di- dynamic res and stuff like that. Uh, I, th- I think the one thing that I just don't like about Lumen is the same kind of problem that ended up plaguing Spogey and why Spogey probably wasn't introduced uh, to a lot of games because it's really heavy, but it still doesn't get rid of some problems in the end, unlike ray tracing. Uh, like triangle ray tracing, so that's that's the only thing issue I have with it. I, in the end, uh, I think I do wonder when we're going to actually start seeing something from them because they said, you know, like stay tuned, uh, you'll figure out about more of our projects in the future. Um, but I, I do imagine it's going to take a while. To get, you know, if you want to use Nanite, you're going to have to reconfigure a lot of your art pipeline and uh, bring artists up to speed on how to use that. And if you're designing a game around Lumen, well, you have to design an entire game around real-time lighting. And that's not, as we found out with 4A, uh, they had to start it from the beginning of the project. Again, they had to rip out all their old lighting techniques, essentially. And that will have a big effect on the way even your uh, assets are authored. So I don't know. I do wonder if we're going to see it within like a year or if actually this is something we're going to only see in like three years or
0: two years from now. I guess the key here, though, is that, as you say, the Coalition's always been good at showcasing the best of Unreal Engine. And I feel like if, you know, with Epic touting these new features, it would be a huge miss for them if a studio like the Coalition did not fully embrace them, right? Like this is pretty much the chance for them to showcase what it can actually do within a game so um, I suspect it will look very very good and we'll see what the trade-offs are at the time when it's actually revealed what they're doing uh, but I am excited to see it so
2: For yeah. sure I think we need to bear anyway. in mind um, that uh, if we go back to Unreal Engine 4 and Gears 4 that was doing stuff with Unreal Engine 4 that nobody else got near to achieving Unreal Engine 4 was quite nascent uh, at that point and yet here was the coalition producing something that was absolutely phenomenal still holds up today and um, so it's going to be really interesting to see what they come up with with this system because i think that demo was undeniably spectacular but it also raised a lot of questions about it the system's limitations particularly in terms of uh, dynamic elements within a scene and how they would integrate with this sort of infinite detail system so it was kind of like almost um the sense was that we were looking at something that was of the very best case scenario within you know uh, within that system, and, and how that's going to translate into actual games, we don't know. But I guess the other thing, of course, is that that was a PlayStation Five demo, and the coalition will be working exclusively on Xbox and PC. So it's also great to get some awesome representation for those systems. Uh, on other platforms but I guess really for me the question is timing as when we as, as to when we're going to see something because I think the other thing was that it was an announcement that uh, that we've got nothing to announce because we're moving to this technology but uh, actual games. I can't tell you anything about that at the moment. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see when they actually break cover with something. And I'm also curious to know when they actually got access to this uh, this this new branch of Unreal Engine.
0: They would have probably been one of the first. You'd hope, so. hope so. Absolutely.
2: Yeah.
0: But yeah, I think um, we'll, we'll cover this more as uh, we find out more details, no doubt. But for now, let's uh, jump to the next topic. So next up on the docket, uh, we have Will reported on this initially, but I think you guys have something to say here. Uh, Tiger Lake H and RTX 3050 slash 3050 Ti. What do you make of this, Rich?
2: Um, The Intel side of things, it's basically the first um, eight and six core CPUs that we've seen on a 10 nanometer fabrication node. So um, in the laptop space, uh, uh, Intel has actually been doing fairly well in keeping pace with, um, with AMD, even though they have a process advantage. I mean, the chips are a lot hotter, <laughs> the old ones, certainly. And uh, there are um, performance deficiencies in a lot of scenarios, but in games, holding up pretty well. Now, in theory, with Tiger Lake H, we're getting the benefits of IPC improvements we're getting the benefits of the new process node 10 nanometer they're calling it super fins on the actual technology which i really like and um, <laughs> but i guess we're just going to have to wait and see what the actual um uh, systems uh, they come up with are going to deliver because it is fundamentally you know a faster version of what we've got i mean that's kind of like the 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 weird thing about the CPU space is that there isn't the sort of same level of innovation that there is with, with graphics. It is basically you know, more cores, faster frequencies, and uh, in this case, um, crucial to Intel, better process. So I don't really have a huge amount to say about Tiger Lake H. It seems that, like they're doing some improvements in terms of uh, PCI Express 4.0 support, which isn't, which isn't on Ryzen 5000 on mobile. And uh, obviously, uh, improving the amount of lanes available off of the CPU. So, you know, it's it's kind of like an iterative but hopefully welcome step forward. I think what kind of intrigues me more are the NVIDIA graphics, the 3050 and the 3050 Ti, because we're looking at, on the face of it, really, well, they're going to be low-performing parts if we sort of uh, set it up against a desktop part. But... Um, I really like the idea of having an RTX chip that is relatively low performance in the concept of small form factor laptops. And I think at this point, the accelerant nature of DLSS becomes of crucial importance because, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, if you judge um, performance per watt in terms of, you know, frame rate, frames per joule, then DLSS is such a huge improvement there that suddenly this low performing GPU suddenly punches well above its weight and becomes a lot more interesting. And maybe there would be some stuff to do with ray tracing there as well. I mean, you know, obviously it's going to be pared back somewhat, but maybe you'll get a bit of RT love in there.
0: Beside, beside that though, Rich, I mean, the fact that it's laptop part uh, is useful. With DLSS, especially because uh, the smaller screen of a laptop will play really nicely with that. So I suspect you could use one of the really high performance modes of DLSS and still wind up with a really nice looking image on a screen of that size.
2: Right, absolutely. Because DLSS quality mode will be 720p rendering uh, at the native level, which means you know even for a very um, well, a relatively weak GPU there should be some interesting results there blowing up to 1080p and i actually really i really want to test this i really want to get to grips with it because i do think that um it's often the case that the 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 less capable gpus are the more interesting ones and it's stuff where you are encouraged to tinker you're encouraged to tweak the settings alex's optimized settings sort of become they, they yeah they you know there may even be a sort of multiplier effect when you're when you're dealing with a with a less capable GPU like that. So um, I understand there's a whole bunch of RTX 3050 and 3050 Ti laptops coming along. I want to get hold of one, uh, preferably a Ti, and to see what it's capable of. And I also think it's a new chip, um, a GA107 possibly. So it could, yeah. So it 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 could well roll out into the desktop space as well. Yeah. Uh, which uh, would be awesome.
1: Yeah, I'm also just kind of interested in uh, more laptops or just uh, kind of more RTX GPUs out there just for the sake of I want this RT evolution revolution to keep on rolling and more devices supporting it. Even if it is like RTX 2060 power, uh, I found quite well enough that if you toggle and mess with settings in games and definitely take advantage of DLSS when it's there, um, you can have a really great RT experience on that class of GPU. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited.
0: Or just a non-RT experience, honestly. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah, uh, Having this small form factor laptop, it's, uh, it's kind of appealing. Well, the, the other thing like that,
2: that I like about less capable parts is that your expectations go in lower and also um, uh, you, you can kind of uh, accept the mitigations uh, a bit more readily. So, you know, if a laptop came along that has, you know, VRR, um, and your frame rates are between like 45 to 60 frames per second with a with a 30, uh, 3050 Ti, then that's still a pretty equitably, you know, pretty decent experience. And you're getting it from a, you know, what is likely to be a small portable laptop that you can take anywhere, that you can game on and have fun with. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, the you know the the whole sort of package is actually quite an interesting proposition i think one of my favorite laptops from last year was the uh, asus zephyrus g14 which is a really small macbook sized uh, pc it had a low wattage rtx 2060 um, max q in it and you know i could still play control on it with raid facing and i was still perfectly happy to play it on there the frame rates were you know not as good as i'd get on a desktop But, yeah, the fact that I'm playing it on a laptop, the fact that it's still, you know, well above 30 frames per second kind of works for me, you know. So there's kind of different expectation levels with a laptop. I also think when you're dealing with uh, parts that have a much lower wattage, uh, then you stand more chance of getting more performance out of them on battery because um, most gaming laptops, you really do need to have them plugged in Uh, in order to get the full power delivered to all of the internal components. So, you know, for example, um, a laptop I looked at recently had a 230 watt power brick. Now, you're not going to get 230 watts delivered from the internal battery. So if you're playing on the go, then, you know, basically you're not getting anywhere near the full performance of the unit maybe you'd stand more of a chance of that with uh, with a lower power GPU. But yeah, I, re- I just want to go hands-on with one and to see what's possible there. And as I said, I really like these um, uh, less capable GPUs because you're more motivated to seek out the performance wins to make the most of optimized settings. So yeah, bring it on, I say.
0: Good stuff, <laughs> good stuff. All right, well, anyway, let's move on. Next up on the docket, we have... Uh an update on the Xbox's Quick Resume feature, uh, which I think is, you know, it's a fairly popular concept. It's really, really cool in practice most of the time, uh, but it seems like they're doing more to sort of um, play with it. They're they're introducing some some tweaks to it and uh, working on reliability, among other things. Like, what do you what do you guys think about this?
1: I, I really like Quick Resume when I've used it. Uh, I just uh... When uh, it did work really well with Resident Evil Village, that I was just comparing to the PC version, and it made me kind of just jealous and wanting it on PC. Uh, The ability to kind of like save a state of a game, you know, drop it on your SSD and reload it up into RAM. I really like that idea idea a lot, Um, and it really helped uh, making my video. The only problem I've had within the past is somewhat some reliability issues. Uh, and I have yet to test this out because I'm not sure how you would test it out in terms of reliability, uh, but I guess the one thing we could possibly test out in uh, the eventuality of time would be its speed. I know that was one of the touted advantages of this update that the quick resume speed was increased. I didn't actually ever find that any of a problem. Uh, I just had more of a problem with the reliability, but that's a nice thing to see upgraded for sure.
0: The reliability thing and lack of support is the weird Issue and I guess I'd imagine most Xbox Series targeted games will should support quick resume. I would hope, but the problem is, is we still have a lot of games being released that are like cross gen or de- not even necessarily cross gen. just like designed for last gen, and a lot of them don't work. So quick resume support is still rather spotty, and maybe I'm just unlucky in the games that I've been playing lately. Uh, just don't work but it is frustrating because in the case where quick resume is not supported you can't even put the console to sleep um because when you do that at least every time i come back to the game it just restarts the game no matter what so it's making it difficult to get through certain titles because they don't always have save points easily accessible but i'm happy that they're doing more work on this because it sounds like going forward i suspect within a year so we should see this most of these issues ironed out and pretty much all new games, I would imagine hopefully should support this. So, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. I I, think there's two things for me on here. First of all, um, uh, the problem with a system level feature that isn't fully reliable is that um, it breeds distrust of the concept. And um, I, you know, if you if you can't count on, uh, you know, a system that's supposed to be a pillar of the next generation experience, Um, It kind of poses problems. Secondly, there was the concept, uh, which I think is being addressed with this, which is that you never knew what was being cached and what wasn't being cached. So what they're doing now is introducing a new group that organises your quick resume games into one place so you know what's being cached. And, uh, yeah, there was just sort of general weirdness when I tested it back in the day, and I'm assuming that it's improved tremendously since then. Um, But the other thing which kind of catches my eye here is the faster load times. And here's here's a weird thing. When we were at the Microsoft campus, Quick Resume was running faster than it was on the retail systems that we got um, uh, when the review cycle came around. And, you know, the cynic in me at the time thought, well, maybe they've just got slower SSDs in the retail units. That was kind of the most logical solution there. Um, but you know, if they're touting faster load times, maybe they're you know just in improving the, the technology there. Something you know, beta features that that we saw back in the day are finally sort of reaching fruition now. But I don't know. I'm, I'm just like resolution boost, <laughs> right? Yeah, we we find, need to find time to talk about that, John. But we still haven't. Maybe next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: There There's uh, one thing that I from looking at the. Um, I forget the name of the game stack live presentation about direct storage is that they did mention uh, that the direct storage, uh, essentially there is a part of it uh, where they can use the CPU to compress files into their compression format. Uh, And I'm wondering if they could actually, if part of this quick resume update and making it faster is actually the way it is stored onto your SSD while being quick resumed isn't even in a compressed format now. I w- it would be interesting to see, I mean, I don't think we have any sort of visibility on that like hundred gigabyte uh, kind of layer that they have available for velocity architecture. Uh, but I, I'd imagine that would be one way in the future for games that could support it would be a way they would even make it like really, really fast where it's like they compress it onto the disc and then uncompress it off. Um, that'd be cool. I don't know. That's, that's a, yeah, it's
2: an interesting point, Alex, because you know I went into Quick Resume uh, believing that it was the hardware uh, decompression blocks uh, that were being used there to make it all happen. But it was, you know, it was sort of clarified to me later on that it is actually software that's being doing that. The CPU is doing it, and there are no hardware compression blocks. So when, something is, yeah, so when something is put onto the SSD, when your state is saved onto the SSD, this is a CPU-driven task. It might just be that they've uh, improved the uh, efficiency of their compression and decompression on the CPU. Or maybe they're using the, the, the hardware blocks on the decompressed side of things. I guess we'll find out, hopefully, in due course.
0: Indeed, we will. But let's move on. Uh, Last on our list of news items today uh, that we wanted to discuss a little bit here is the release of the RetroTink 5X Pro. Uh, This is um, essentially, well, what can I say? This is pretty much the best retro upscaler I've seen to date. And there's, you know, so the the whole idea behind these for that, you know, if you want to play original hardware on a modern display, you need some sort of scaler to do it at a reasonable quality because... Quite frankly, modern TVs and analog inputs and the results you get from lower resolutions, it's not good. It doesn't look good, especially they rarely understand even how to treat stuff like 240p. So you just end up with uh, all kinds of problems. So for years, we've used stuff like the OSSC, the Framemeister, and various other devices that are designed to take that signal from a retro console, the analog signal, and perform some calculations on it and then put out an image that is of higher quality uh, the retro tink 5x pro then is from mike chi uh, and it is a an fpga based solution which i guess you know the ossc is as well um, and it is superb in terms of the u- overall user experience and the quality of the output Specifically, he's included a very simple settings menu that allows you to dial in things like the the timing and, and uh, well, I guess effectively, you're you're adjusting the clarity of the output, because normally on like the OSSC, this is something that had to be dialed in by hand, you know, like the front porch, the clocks, all the stuff to get it to look just right. But here, it's sort of preset based on a lot of specific standards that consoles are using. And so you can achieve this like razor sharp, like pixel perfection. That's almost like, it's almost like a digital output of, of one of these machines just using this little device. And, uh, it's so fast at this. It it can do all of this stuff without any of the issues with like dropping the signal when changing resolution, for instance, which was a big problem for a lot of like games on the, uh, PS, uh, PlayStation saturn n64 era where they change resolution mid game like a menu would be in high res the game is in low res or resident evil 2 on n64 where it just randomly changes between high and low depending on the screen you're on uh the retro tank now uses a frame buffer and it's an option the triple buffer mode or you can do the the direct original refresh rate which still does require some switching but if you're using the frame buffer option it's instantaneous now which is great. And also it's compatible with uh, our capture hardware, specifically the Atomos Shogun that I use. Uh, I always had to use PC capture cards in the past with the OSSC and the Framemeister, but the compatibility has been increased on this. So for me specifically, this makes video production much easier now since I can just plug these things right into the Shogun and bam, there you go. Is it
2: actually time now to reveal the Xbox One HDMI hack for improving oh. capt- capture compatibility,
0: I use that for a little bit. Actually, that's right. We uh, can we can
2: share it now. This is this is just awesome.
0: This is this is so silly. Looking back, basically the the issue is that I always so the Thomas Shogun. It's a, it's a st- small standalone capture unit. You slot SSDs into it as its own screen. I like this because it's integrated. It doesn't drop frames. Uh, you don't have to leave your PC hooked up and on during that. It's a very nice way to capture stuff. So I always use that for modern consoles. But the problem is, is it's very picky about the signal that you send into it. So most of these prior upscaling devices just didn't work with it. But I found a solution that's really weird. I uh, On the Xbox One and One X and all that, essentially you you feed the video signal from the OSSC, into the Xbox's HDMI input. And then you essentially capture what the Xbox is sending out. Now, in terms of playability, this is bad because it adds a lot of input lag, but it doesn't matter because it's just the capture I was after. um, And I was playing on the CRT anyway. So uh, essentially, this this was a way to sort of massage the signal because the Xbox could see it and then it essentially sends out uh, a resulting signal in the process. Uh, it's, it was a very weird thing. And I think people have tried similar stuff using like little cheap Amazon boxes to like sort of, it's it's just about doing something to the signal to bring it more into spec. And the Xbox kind of did that. So for a while I was using that kind of hack just to get, uh, the OSSC to pipe through the, uh, the Shogun.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think it's awesome though. And I do think, you know, if anybody out there, any creators are having issues capturing an HDMI source, Try putting it through an Xbox One. Any any Xbox One will do. Just try giving it that a go and see what happens because it's uh, quite quite funny, isn't it?
0: <laughs> you just get the full screen image output and it looks great. It doesn't really, like, it's not dropping frames or doing anything weird. You just get a perfect uh, replication. It's just coming through the Xbox. So, you don't like I said, you don't want to play it that way because it does add noticeable input latency to the mix. That's true but in terms of just getting captured it's a, it's a fun thing
2: with with the uh, retro Tink, though i've got a a bunch of questions that i uh, i've asked you to put to mike oh so, yeah yeah so at, uh,
0: at the time of recording we're going to be uh having him on a live stream i think oh, uh, cool. tomorrow so cuz i also want to ask a lot of questions about how he pulled this off cuz it's it's really good
2: cuz even composite is looking pretty decent isn't it
0: yeah, It has a really nice comb filter in there so like composite video, it minimizes a lot of the artifacts and the crosstalk. And it also applies the same super crisp, clean scaling, which by the way, this thing can output up to 1920 by 1440, which is extremely nice. Uh, super, super sharp on a 4K screen. Really nice scanline line features. Uh, perhaps the biggest feature though is the de-interlacing, which is really great for systems like the PlayStation 2, which, you know... The majority of these games run in interlaced 4Di mode, and the motion adaptive deinterlacing here produces unbelievably nice results. It's very, very good. Um, so yeah, this is like this has replaced all of these devices in my capture setup now. I have removed them uh, and replaced it with this, and it's just it's it's the perfect device for the type of work that I'm doing. But it's also great if you just want to play games. So. <laughs> and you don't use a CRT so
1: during that live stream john please ask mike about the pc situation with vga i would love to see if uh, he has any plans there or any ideas it, no promises obviously but just curious what he has to say about it
0: interesting especially because he's done for his previous the RetroTink tink 2x uh which was just a line doubler it wasn't a full scaler for those products, he had several different variations of it with slightly different input and output features. So maybe it's feasible that he could do a special version of the the 5X that more targets like the PC uh, input output. That would be awesome.
1: I would love that.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I guess that's uh, that's pretty much all the news then for this week. So let's move on to a quick uh, discussion about DF content that we've been working on over this past week.
2: Uh, I guess we should start with, uh, the stuff for our Patreon supporters. Um, premium tier, uh, had a couple of early access opportunities, obviously the DF direct weekly, uh, for premium and retro tiers. This is available on Saturday for all supporters of those tiers. And a lot of people are really sort of enjoying being able to watch on the Saturday and, uh, that's great and um we also had uh, this week a classic fps remastered uh this is a really interesting one god of war 3 um back in the day i compared the demo to the final game and it's a really fascinating example of what must have been a gigantic optimization push because the game just runs flat out better in the retail version up against the original PlayStation 3 demo, and not only that, there's a ton of extra post-processing features added. Yeah, it looks better. It, too. Looks, yeah, it, a, it looks a, a lot better. better. Yeah. It's like I think
1: they switch from MSAA to MLAA. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then they also added in like motion blur, bloom. And a couple other things i'm pretty sure so it's just like a better looking and running game it runs like i think i was watching that video it's like instances that are like 35 fps or in the 40s in the retail version that's a pretty for like the visual win
2: is, it's pretty odd. Yeah, the game always ran unlocked and um was never particularly keen on that but in this case it does does act more as a kind of like a benchmark of where the team were at one specific point in development and where they ended up and the gap is huge. So yeah, this is a really interesting thing I found on an old uh vintage 2010 hard drive and uh yeah, I just polished it up for display. Uh, on modern screens. It looks great. So yeah, that was really interesting. Um, Alex, you shared all of your uh, Metro Exodus enhanced um, developer footage. I mean, the original video was like 40 minutes, and but we had 15 minutes of just editor shots that we could share there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is uh, obviously, it's probably a little dry unless you're really into that kind of thing. But the basic idea is that you can see behind the scenes exactly uh, the, the footage that the developers sent to me about them going into their editor, turning on and turning off lights, setting up a scene with like rasterized lighting, and then just setting it up with ray tracing. Also, um, some very specific videos showing off like the new ray traced reflections. Um, usually, this would be something that would just sit on my hard drive for an eternity, and I have a couple of those things still uh, on my hard drive for an eternity that we can maybe uh, turn one day into um, DF, uh Patreon kind of developer videos, but this is just kind of cool stuff that otherwise would be, you know, locked behind doors. But now we have a really great avenue to push it out to people who are also interested in it.
2: And John, you're kind of exhausted at the moment following a mammoth retro Q&A session that should be available very, very soon, if not now, to retro supporters, right?
0: That was fun. Yeah, we did two hours of recording, answering questions from the audience, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So that should be going up real soon. Uh, between two projects, I did start more work. Audie and I have been working on the next big episode of DF Retro. So that is well underway. Uh, it's going to be a lot of stuff in there, but it's uh, it should be good.
2: Uh, next topic, I guess, uh, Alex, um, at the time of recording this, you have just published uh, your AMD's... uh well, actually, it's not AMD as such. It's, it's AMD is flashing on the docket, <laughs> but it is the Resident Evil PC... Uh, port, which uh, I think we can characterize it as puzzling and disappointing. Uh, What do you make of the reaction? Uh, I think it depends on the, I think there's like two people that
1: are watching this video and maybe it has to do with the structure of the video. Maybe that could have been a bit better uh, in regards to what aspect I prioritize as being the first thing you see in the video, Uh, because I spend a lot of the video in the beginning part, just talking about the menu and uh, the settings. And kind of what I come into a port uh, with certain expectations, usually based upon the menu, like when I immediately touch it, and then that kind of flavors the rest of the way I'm playing the game. Usually, this is the way it works. Uh, And I kind of structured the video in that same, I approach the game from the menu, and then I see what happens. And I think that can turn some people off immediately, and they saying, oh, I'm uh, nitpicking, which there is definitely nitpicking in there. I mean, it is Digital Foundry, after all. Um, So like, The the problem with the fact that ray tracing technically doesn't scale very high, that is actually not like a real large issue. Uh, The larger issues come in when you realize that certain options aren't working, or when you get to the latter half of the video after I've already generated my optimized settings, and you see that uh, actually the game's stuttering during large moments uh, that are really key to the game feeling good. Uh, And that's where where the, the port actually has its largest problem. And I think if you uh, are viewing the, the video from this perspective of you know, nitpicking about settings but ignoring the, the performance half of the video, you may actually come off with a different uh, kind of opinion. And then there's probably just the fact that uh, people who are playing these games are maybe not even seeing these stutters. Um, I've had it before. We've had it also with developers uh, not necessarily seeing things that we see, but we feel like it has a great impact on the game experience. And this is maybe one of those moments as well where I really, I do have a hard time imagining that people are not getting these stutters because I got it across three separate PCs with AMD and uh, NVIDIA hardware. So, and then you read like the Steam forums or any other kind of, uh, you know, like I always like frequent reset errors PC performance threads because they're usually chock full of information. Um, so. A lot of people are getting it. And I just think there's some people who just don't see these things and don't view them as a problem, maybe. But I think in the end.
0: It's not really acceptable to me that, especially when this isn't a console issue, like there's no reason why the PC version should have this problem. So I, I really don't understand what's going on there.
1: Uh, It is a big shame because it's, I think in in general, if you ignore the the game's stuttering issues, like the variety of them that there are, there's like three different ones, depending upon your hardware and what you have set up. Um, I think the the performance is really great. And that's shown at the kind of back end of the video where if you look at it in comparison to Xbox Series X, like uh, the RTX 2070 Super is lined up with even a little bit better than the Xbox Series X, if you look. And that's really good performance, I'd say. And if you turn off ray tracing, uh, the you know, just like we talked about on console, uh, the the performance is so high, hundreds of FPS easily. Um, and that's really great. It's just you can't really enjoy the experience. I feel if the common thing you do in the game is constantly causing a stutter, and I just I just can't enjoy a game that way. Uh, so that's why it comes across that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my notes about your video, Alex. I think. Um, uh, starting with the menu system i mean it is essential the the menu the inter the user interface is the handshake between the player and the game right and when it's not acting properly when uh, mouse and keyboard is much slower than using the controller for accessing settings this is like um it starts to raise a red flag uh, all i will say i mean you know it's i'd say in terms of the pacing and the structure we could just, just stick a bit at the, end, at the beginning, which just is like, this is what you're going to see in this video. So people so people will know that you're doing all of the stuff and don't have to sort of, um, uh, you know, they can kind of realize that you are going to be covering all of this stuff. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I mean, the, <laughs> I did mention earlier that AMD is flashing on the docket here. Um <laughs> This we is a really... It. I mean, it's an interesting it's a point. It's recurring issue, isn't it? It is an interesting yeah. point because, you know, um, Horizon Zero Dawn was an AMD-sponsored title and had issues, um, big issues. And Resident... I mean, the thing about the, the issues that I'm noting here in Resident Evil is that this is actually really basic stuff. And, you know, if I'm AMD or indeed NVIDIA and my name is being attached to these games... Uh, then essentially, I think there's got to be a question of oversight. Um, you know, if I was AMD, I would want to be ensuring that the game runs without issue on AMD systems. And uh, it seems to be that these stuttering issues, I mean, prior to you actually starting work or, or getting fully into it, Um, I actually had an email from um, one of our supporters saying, I've got 6900 XT and I'm getting really bad stutter. This is like the absolute top-end big navi and it's causing issues. So, yeah, I mean, I think there are certain questions there. And then again, there was was also the Tier 2 VRS stuff, which I found to be utterly baffling, you know. Because this is like a showcase feature, and it's a really important part of the new Fidelity FidelityFX suite. It's being ported to Xbox. So, you know, if you've got a VRS tier two uh, system, you know, uh, you've got to ensure that it's being implemented correctly. And it doesn't seem to be the case in Resident Evil.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a shame because I think over time now, uh, unfortunately, there's like a negative opinion kind of generating about the usage of variable rate shading, even though from a development standpoint, it's like, yeah, this makes sense. Developers have been talking about the idea of variable rate shading for years, and then actually having a nice hardware API and a a standard solution you can maybe plug into games. It sounds really great, but then we have this, and I mean, I don't wanna fault Metro Exodus too much since it is just VRS tier one, but any of these tier one implementations, like we also saw in Hitman as well, they just give a general negative opinion about what this tech can actually do. It's actually a very good, it's a positive thing for your hardware and a positive thing for developers. Uh, Gears 5 shows it off well. And it's just a shame to see another kind of VRS implementation (laughs) make the tech look kind of (laughs) useless. So, mm,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, I'd definitely like to see um, uh, more Wolfenstein and Gears level implementations of vrs because that's really what it's all about right and um some of the stuff we saw in in gears was uh was really really impressive but uh, yeah i don't really know what to make of that resident evil port i just hope that you know a couple of patches and everything is is sorted but um yeah i guess in the in the here and now it's a bit these, disappointing
0: these amd games ati games they can't keep getting away with it from super bubsy <laughs> all the way up to village <laughs> When's it gonna end? <laughs> yeah, I,
2: <mean. laughs> I think the thing we've got to bear in mind here is that we don't have any visibility in terms of what the relationship is uh, between the vendor and the and the developer, and there might be a lot of circumstances and scenarios that which we're simply unaware of. But at the end of the day, we can only assess the end product, and um, yeah, that's that's the that's the problem. So, John, any notes on what you're up to?
0: Um, well, I mean. Alex and I recorded something on Marble's RTX this week, which was uh, already out, so no need to talk about that now. Um, that was pretty cool. Uh, and then I am working on something secret, oh, I guess nice. we could say. Coming so in, I yeah. can't really say what that is, but it, there is something being done right now. Coming I soon. Guess I can, Very exciting. Soon. Yeah. I also
1: can technically say it because the uh, uh, you've probably seen now on other channels and things like that, uh, hands-on of Days Gone, that's something we're also looking into right now, um, but that's about it. You know, we're not going to put out a hands-on video or a stream or anything like that. But like you can expect, you can expect Alex to have a video on this game.
0: The Alex fine-tooth comb will be applied to days gone. Yeah, I'm going to be Just so picky.
1: Wait. You you can't even expect how picky I'll be. <laughs> uh, this is week cool. three.
2: This is week three of saying it, but um,
0: <laughs> no, uh, I have not. <laughs>
2: there's a lot of Patreon users out there waiting for your uh, GI tech focus, Alex. So, yeah, uh, no, uh, you will get there. Post yeah. days gone. Hopefully, we can we can lock Post that is in. Post
1: days gone. That's the that's the thing I want to do, and it, now actually. Since we did talk about Marbles RTX, I'm thinking about building the Omniverse a little bit into the video, to maybe for example purposes. Which, uh, So I, I'll try and see if I can manage something there. But if not, it'll maybe have very crudely drawn things in it, again, like my typical tech focus videos.
2: We'll see. I'm sure there's a Thomas the Tank Engine model you can import.
0: <laughs> Can't wait. Oh yeah, there always is. <laughs> every time <laughs> but I think uh let's move on to our final section all right here we are Q&A as always uh this is the part where we take questions from the audience uh, our discord sorry our, our Patreon supporters uh and if you want to leave a question for us to answer I think Audi posts a link to this every week which you can access over on the Patreon site and we've already actually talked about two of these questions today in relation to PSVR but there is uh, at least a- another VR question here, which we're going to talk about real quick, coming to us from Charlie Pierce. He says As VR is being talked about, my question is if we combine the discovery a while back of the Xbox message saying this VR headset needs an update when plugging in certain headsets, and Gabe Newell mentioning consoles recently, should we put two and two together? and make five by thinking valve index support coming to xbox uh rich what do you think
2: i'd say sony is more likely right uh, because they, they do actually have an announced vr headset and they seem to have much more of uh an inkling uh when it comes to vr they do seem to want to be involved with uh, with vr uh microsoft have been kind of standoffish about it um really difficult question this uh because that message on the xbox is kind of you know it's you can't really ignore it <laughs>
1: yeah it's so weird that it even happens yeah
2: i mean maybe it's hangover from the uh, the windows 10 kernel but it's going to be pretty stripped back on xbox so to retain that kind of messaging it's <laughs> kind of bizarre maybe they do have something cooking but i still think it just makes a lot more sense for um microsoft simply to uh, step back and uh, support a third-party headset, whether that's the Quest 2, whether it's the Rift S. Basically, establish a baseline in terms of specification and a support of that. But um, if, if there isn't officially sanctioned peripheral support plus mar- a marketing push behind it, then I can't really see it as being a big deal for Xbox. Um, meanwhile, the kind of more... Um, curated and looked after approach from Sony it does seem to be more of a Sony uh, initiative that they could get behind but at the same time you know they're fiercely uh, protective of their walled garden as we've discovered from the various legal documents we've seen recently so the concept of Steam coming to, um, uh, to to PlayStation kind of weird Meanwhile yeah, on the Xbox we had side, one
0: attempt though if you remember Rich yeah but, the kind of uh, that integration with portal too. yeah it was kind of strange but, though wasn't it that was weird
2: yeah but meanwhile in the PC space uh you know I think Phil Spencer will cut a deal with anybody who will integrate Xbox Live features so maybe there is something going on there uh, I'll just be really interested to see uh, what's happening there because it's kind of been hinted for years now years i mean you know especially the portal 2 thing the portal 2 thing we were kind of thinking this was going to be the beginning of something big but it wasn't it just kind of in
0: reality it was a way to make console players want to sign up for steam on the pc so they could redeem <laughs> their free copy of portal 2 on the pc because it played better on the pc yeah. uh, very very smart there mr i Major. guess
1: i guess it would be uh I just like this is totally theory crafting BS for my part, uh, but I, the idea of actually having the ability to access all Steam games on a console in some sort of virtualized environment—I don't know—using like Proton or whatever the heck uh, Valve has—that'd be a really huge win for any of the console manufacturers if they'd be interested in it. Because I, really I don't, see don't ever see happening. that ever it, it, It's happen. not curated. Yeah, it's not no. curated. It can brick your console. It would totally
0: leave. But well, even still, really it's hacked. basically like opening up the access to a completely different library, different store on it's that awesome, platform though, when they're trying to push <laughs> their own storefronts. So Yeah. Uh, even as streaming, I, I, I don't know. I don't see it.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, it's something that I would just like, uh, but it w- it'll never happen, probably.
0: All right. Let's move on to the next question. This one comes to us from Eric Benoit. He says, do you envision Sony eventually ditching consoles and having a service like Steam? It makes me wonder with the drive to all digital that they would put the hardware responsibility on the consumer whoa uh i i mean that kind of ties into what we were just saying and i really don't see that ever being the case i mean especially with sony microsoft i could actually see them eventually ditching hardware i'm not sure that they will anytime soon mind you but Uh, They're all about their Xbox service, the Game Pass stuff, everything like pushing the they want to get you playing on their platform or their service, no matter what platform you're on. Sony, on the other hand, while they are releasing some PC games, I think it's pretty clear that they're still very invested in their own platform like Nintendo. Uh, And I just I don't know. What do you guys think, Uh, Rich?
2: Uh, Well, first of all, I've got to put my hand up and say I put this question in just to wind you up, John. (laughs) Uh, sorry. Uh, anything, if there's a question with streaming in it, it it, it stands a, a pretty good chance of getting into the lineup. Uh, so yeah, I do apologise, uh, but that was a very level-headed response there. I was expe- yeah. I was expecting you to tip over the table and uh, and rage, uh, but in terms of what I actually think, um, hmm, um, well. This whole concept of moving away from the console as the home of, of the of the experience, uh, I think Microsoft have been phasing towards, you know, moving in phases towards that end game, and it starts with the concept that an Xbox game isn't exclusively on an Xbox console. Now, I personally think that the idea of producing uh, PC versions day and date with the console versions. I don't think it really takes anything away from the console. And in actual fact, it increases the reach of some really good games. So I actually applaud that that part of the initiative. And we're starting to see Sony think to themselves, well, maybe we should be putting our games out on PC as well, because, you know, what do we stand to lose from it? Now, we haven't seen the full-throated support that Microsoft has had, but surely they're going to be looking at the uh, you know the, the Microsoft initiative here and thinking to themselves, well, these PC, you know, going day and day on PC, it doesn't seem to be that much of a bad thing. Um, so, you know, it, any transition away from the console as the home base for the games is going to be slow and gradual. And I think it will be especially slow and gradual on the PlayStation side because they are, are in a market-dominating position at the moment. Um, there's less impetus for them to be quite so um, daring with, with their strategy. I mean, it's just early days, I think. I think there are other considerations to take into account. Um, I think the concept of releasing a console that you lose money on works in certain markets but it is not going to uh, work in emerging markets like India and whatnot. This is part of the reason why Microsoft has, has embraced the cloud and streaming, because in those markets, there are literally billions of people who cannot access your games. But you know, a big uh, proportion of that audience has an Android phone or an Apple phone, and then suddenly those games become available. That is a business opportunity. Now, the big question is really the ultimate viability of the console as a cheap and and accessible way to access games. And, you know, as we know, John, from our discussions with Microsoft last year, the cost of making a console and producing generational leaps is getting harder and harder. Uh, uh, but there is some, you know, there is some interesting um, uh, new ways i think for the console to evolve uh, specifically when it comes to machine learning um but uh, yeah i i wouldn't sony eventually ditching consoles well depend define eventually i don't think we've got anything to fear in the short term and certainly if we look at how long it's taken microsoft to to move to this new model and the fact that it is still nascent on the streaming side that there's still a huge amount of work to do. And, my, and, you know, and Sony are years behind on that. I don't think there's much to worry about in the short term, certainly.
0: They also have much less of a horse in this race. I mean, Microsoft is still a PC company. Uh, they have a lot of software and platforms focused on that as well. So it kind of behooves them to get involved there. Uh, Sony, perhaps less so, other than just selling games on other platforms. Mm, It is
2: about accessibility, though. I honestly think that, um, uh, you know, you couldn't launch, you know, PlayStation 5 into a market like India and get any, you know, and make it a viable market. So, you know, we know that Sony does have a cloud strategy for streaming, and bizarrely, it's with Microsoft. And I wonder why that is. (laughs)
0: Yeah. That's a good point. Be curious to see where this goes. Uh, that's for sure. But uh, let's move on to the next question. This one comes to us from Type, and it is a long question. Uh, <clears throat> so he says, in a recent interview with The Verge, core technical director at Insomniac Games, Mike Fitzgerald, said that in Ratchet & Clank, Rift Apart, they're unloading data behind the camera, and can reload it off the SSD by the time the camera spins back around. This is very much in line with what mark cerny talked about would be possible at the road to playstation 5 event fitzgerald also said that they're just scratching the surface of what the ssd and io unit can do so i was wondering what are your what your thoughts were on seeing awesome techniques like this and where you see sony's first party studios taking this powerful storage technology in the future for their ps5 exclusive titles Especially with mature tools and years of working with the platform, thank you. Uh, hmm. What do you think about this, Alex?
1: I just I would just like more information because I read that interview and I was really curious about it. Because um, the the ideal scenario that uh, Cerny mentioned was like in that presentation where you have like a, a view in front of you and as the camera turns. Uh, all the things are loaded in and out of memory from the SSD into, into the main memory, or the GPU memory, actually, in that case, probably. Um, the, the concept is like really powerful, but what it means in practice, based upon uh, the speeds and the latency of uh, getting things into memory, is uh, a whole other question. So it's hard to actually say um, the importance of it in a game like Ratchet & Clank without having more specifics, uh, because, unfortunately, the the... The interview doesn't go into that. A general idea itself though is wonderful for the console space where you have a limited RAM pool and you wanna increase the detail and precision of worlds. uh, It's a great idea. I just wish I had more info on what it is doing exactly. So it's hard for me to wholly generate a a very informed opinion about it. I do have questions. Like uh, when I I read the interview, I was just thinking like, okay, so uh, what does it mean for ray trace reflections? Uh, Was one thing I was thinking. Uh, because if stuff's de- deloading behind you, ray trace Reflections need to know about that. Uh, so I was really curious about that. And uh, I guess in general, uh, also, we saw it with their PlayStation 4 version of Spider-Man, where they showed off that they limited how fast uh, Spidey can swing through the world because uh, the HDD at that point in time couldn't keep up anyway. Uh, it would just load in all the objects really slowly, or maybe it would stutter if they tried to force it. Um... I guess here I'm wondering, uh, like, what is the speed limit of uh, kind of turning the camera if you have an SSD uh, making things disappear behind you? I do kind of just like wonder about those things, but it's all things maybe one day we'll see a GDC talk on it and then we can talk or at least I can talk about it in a way that I'd feel more informed.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. We need more information to say more about this. Uh, It really is, it's very interesting on the surface, uh, but it's still relatively new and there's not a lot of really hard technical information out there available to the public to peruse just yet. So, uh, but I'm sure this is a topic we will be revisiting many times over in the coming years, so.
2: Absolutely, I think just from my perspective, uh, we have to consider the sheer cost that went into uh, developing this IO unit. And the fact that it's you know a significant cost in the building of the console, therefore we should be expecting quite a vast return from it that is over and above, you know, instant loading times. Although those are nice, and um, yeah, very curious to see what what the developers will be coming up with there. But also um, keeping in mind that things are very different on the PC and Xbox sides, where you know the strategy is basically more about Uh, compression of texture assets with uh, shader feedback sampling, stuff like that. So I'm wondering how that technology, how that investment from Sony is going to pay off uh, on the third-party side as well. So yeah, uh, still much to learn about this system, definitely.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on to the next question, which comes to us from Sven Dahlin. He says, I'm a huge fan of DLSS, aren't we all? Uh, And use it on all the games that support it but it comes at a price in the form of die space for the tensor cores if the die space used for tensor cores would have been used for say cuda cores how big would the difference be versus dlss uh alex for um
1: i don't actually have the exact metric in my head um it is pretty small actually in terms of the entire die size i know that Um, And you would get maybe like, let's say, at best case scenario, 15 to 20% without tensor cores. That's best case, uh, not including RT cores or anything like that. Um, So you would get at best, I would presume, a 15 to 20% linear scale of compute. And compute is not the only thing limiting graphics performance. Uh, DLSS though, can give you in like performance mode, like 100% performance improvement or more, uh, and then quality mode obviously less but that's way better than the 20 percent per chance you may get from a better like from more sms so i think it's a it's a big win it's a big win and it's pretty cool yep, maybe not with dlss1 but dlss2 two. Yeah. yeah it's worth
0: the die space for sure
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and this is basically going to be opening the doors to uh as I alluded to earlier the concept of delivering a proper generational leap in graphics power for uh, the next generation of consoles. I mean, why should you be spending all of that compute power on just painting pixels where you can use AI to, to upscale and still get really good results? And um, I mean, we've been really kind of, how can I describe it? Um, I'd say thorough in terms of assessing the quality of DLSS and the threshold when you're in the living room when you're, you know, six feet, two meters away from the uh, the screen, the threshold for quality can actually reduce a fair bit there without any sort of uh, noticeable hit to performance there. So I think that AI upscaling is just one reason why you would want to uh, double down on tensor cores and pull back from, from compute.
0: And not just upscaling, there's plenty of usage f- other uses that you could use the tensor core for, I'd imagine as well. And this, but this kind of gets into this whole element again, where there's a certain subset of people that want to focus on just pushing more of what was old. Like they just, okay, we need more compute, more compute. And that's, that's their focus. They just want to keep boosting that rather than looking at alternatives, which is what NVIDIA has been trying to do here. And I think that's ultimately going to pay off. And I mean, it already has, I would say, Uh, but can going forward, we need to be looking more at, smarter rendering and and other techniques rather than just brute forcing it uh, uh, with older uh, technology. So I have,
1: I have a really great, actually, example of that in, in my head here where, let's take a look at the way RT is done in games right now, where let's say you have that best one sample per pixel, so like one rate per pixel. Um, if you get twice as powerful RT hardware, you're getting two samples per pixel. But if you actually look at it like a, a, a really noisy image with two samples of pixel and one sample per pixel, the difference is so small. Um, and it's not actually like you're getting a huge advantage by increasing the samples per pixel. Uh, you'd have to start getting to the, like the 32 samples or 64 samples per pixel uh, to start seeing the big differences. So the difference that you actually need to be worrying about in the future is a smarter usage of the dye space you already have and the idea of like working on denoising to be much more intelligent and better better done is very interesting. And that maybe is also another space where machine learning will come in because currently DLSS is just working on like spatial ideas. Uh, it is actually not necessarily upsampling the ray tracing element of the scene or denoising it in a very particular way. Uh, it's kind of dumb regarding ray tracing. Um, so maybe in the future, uh, Anyone who has uh, ML acceleration, uh, whether it be uh, AMD or NVIDIA, will be working on machine learned ways to enhance ray tracing in games. And that'll be more interesting.
0: That's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, that's really the key to unlocking uh, dramatic boosts in ray tracing fidelity, really, because it's all about reducing the cost of the calculations that need to be performed. And if you can get away with fewer rays and then make up with it with using ML, then. Oh, that's like a cool. win. The other thing, I'd of course, like
2: some, yeah. is um, memory bandwidth, where we've seen that oh, yeah. uh, the ratio <laughs> yeah. between yeah. compute and bandwidth right. has been uh, challenging with the new range of consoles. So, you know, you can just claw back a lot more performance. You're not as bandwidth saturated by rendering at a lower resolution uh, on the native level. We're actually, I think a classic case of this is that um, the Infiltrator demo uh, shipped with DLSS 1.0 uh, you're 1.0, and you can see that there are situations at 4K where I think it might be the depth of field effect or something, it just tanks performance really badly. But with DLSS, because it's running at a lower resolution, um, the impact to performance is nowhere near as pronounced. But just the concept of freeing up memory bandwidth, which is swiftly becoming um, a bit of an issue, much more constrained versus prior generations because the scaling simply isn't there on the hardware side. That's a big win as well.
0: All right, let's move on to the next question. This one comes to us from Andre Scheffler. Uh, he says, could you give an update on the option to have 120 frames per second videos on your page? I would be really interested. Thumbs up, he says. <laughs> Thumbs up. Uh, Rich, what do you think about this? Um,
2: okay. Well, first of all, we're limited by the capture of... Um, 120 hertz. We can do it at a maximum of 1440p at the moment. There might be some innovations happening here that, that will change things, but it won't be for a little while yet. Um, secondly, we need to investigate whether if I give you know my LG CX a 120 frames per second video, whether it will actually play at 120 frames per second. Uh, this is all research we need to do. Uh, you could, in theory, do it on the PC side of things, but... I kind of, if we're going to be doing 120 frames per second videos, it's not going to appear on YouTube, so the audience that will actually be able to see it will be pretty low. And if it's only possible if you've got your PC attached to a um, 120 hertz display, then conceivably the audience would be uh, even lower. Um, so it's, it's a challenging one. So I'd really like to do this, and we have got a, a project in mind. Uh, that we'd like to to really use to showcase this, but um, we need to test that it's actually going to work on TVs uh, just to ensure that we can actually get our console audience involved as well as what would be a subset of our PC audience.
1: What, what on earth happens if you upload at 120 FPS HEVC or H.264 to YouTube? I, sus- I suspect
2: it. it would be the same as when we used to upload 60 frames per second videos to youtube when it only supported 30. which yeah. would be it just ignores exactly. every other frame <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah
0: uh, that's that's uh, that's my guess as well yeah uh, I, w- I would like youtube to support that at some point though that would be pretty cool uh especially on since most tvs these days have built-in youtube apps if they just natively offered the 120 hertz support uh that would be really nice but anyway, um, let's get on to some more questions here. Uh, for this one, I'm going to go with uh, Trans Tech Girl, who asks, "Would you rather only have 1080p but always get 144 frames per second, or 4K but only ever get 60?" And dang, I would probably go somewhere in the middle of that. But if <laughs> I had to choose, if I if those were the only options, I fr- probably have to go with 144. 144 frames per second because it just uh it adds so much to the fluidity (laughs)
1: yeah the frame persistence is going to be better too i was just testing out my pc the other day with metro uh ah, i keep getting more and more disappointed in my pc uh, in my television ever since i saw john's in person so (laughs) i saw john's with like black frame insertion at uh recently yeah uh,
0: I check that out it
1: was uh, it's just like uh the lack of blur and i turned on uh the equivalent of black frame insertion on mine at 4k 60 and i was just turning the camera without motion blur on i was like honestly oh, it's like crap um so i i mean just i i i don't like the way televisions look at 4k 60 right now without black frame insertion and i play i've been playing all my games that way for so long but Uh, so I'd probably like John go for the 1080p 144 option. If the frame persistence
2: looked good. I dunno, I'd, I'd probably go for 4k 60 personally. Um, but I think John, you hit the nail on the head with, um, the talk of a middle ground and the middle ground is there at PC at the moment. It's, you know, it's 1440p at 165 or 144 Hertz that's kind of like the sweet spot for me and that's where it all kind of works for me. And in terms of trading resolution for frame rate, it's a lot easier to, from from my perspective, to trade from 4K down to 1440p rather than drop all the way down uh, to 1080p. And it's kind of been borne out somewhat by the FPS boost situation, uh, where a lot of the Series X titles uh, that are getting FPS boost are losing their 1X enhancements and uh, although you know we we are gaining you know 60 over 30 i suppose it's a different a different sort of situation really but it's still very much a trade and it's not you know it's not a slam dunk in the way that dropping down to 1440 would be
0: next up we got a question from luke he says hey team how do you feel about quality the quality of the next generation version of control ultimate edition i've seen your video great as always That's right, Alex. I agree. Oh, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Forgot. But uh, I was a bit disappointed because of the much lower settings that were used on the consoles. Could they have been done better? And what do you think about the future? Will we see 4K or 1440p at 60 frames per second with RT for more games on console in good quality? Or will it most likely be either 4K 60, no RT, or ray tracing at 30 frames per second? And obviously, you got to toss this one straight over to Alex, because <laughs> this is this is your jam. Uh,
1: the first part of the question, I don't think it's, you don't ever have to be disappointed just because the nominal setting on PC for the equivalent is low. The the names for settings are just names. It really doesn't matter. It's whether whether you like the quality of what it looks like, and I think that's very subjective. I didn't think it looked bad on console at 1440p60 with these low settings. I didn't think it looked bad. I would have said if it looked bad in the video. Um, So I I don't think you need any reason to feel disappointed about that. Uh, And the second part of the question, I guess, uh, the future, yeah, of course there's gonna be uh, titles that can target high resolutions with ray tracing and uh, at 60 FPS as well, it'll just be a little bit more limited. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be necessarily always the choice between 30 FPS with RT and 30, uh, 60 without because we've already seen examples of it with Spider-Man, um, Miles Morales, and that that looks completely fine. Uh, so uh, in general, I wouldn't be so negative as this comment is, Luke. I think we're going to be surprised and we're going to be happy. Uh, some, not, not everything's always going to be perfect. You'll have some hard choices there. Uh, but, you know, don't be so down.
2: It's cool. I think uh, it, it kind of comes back to this concept of um, the stigma of low settings, when in actual fact, you know, these systems are being created uh, very much uh, with consoles in mind, with bang for the buck in mind. And um, usually, there, you know, there's scenarios where certain systems, uh, when you scale to medium or high, and certainly we saw this with uh, Resident Evil Village, there's There are certain situations, certain settings, where there's very little to gain by actually increasing the the render cost. It's kind of like iterating on top of a system that was designed uh, to give, you know, good results and can only, you know, a certain render cost and can only give iteratively better. I mean, it's part of the reason why um, beyond... uh, well, it's part of the reason why a lot of the time on PC, improving resolution and maybe going from 30 to 60 is pretty much the only route forward in terms of bettering the core experience. Ramping up settings is kind of like a case of diminishing returns, really. I mean, obviously it varies on a setting by setting basis, but it is funny, isn't it, Alex, how often your optimized settings turn out to be very, very close to what the consoles are doing.
1: Yeah, it's... uh... Well, there's just like obvious things, and I hope developers can see them too, and that's why it happens. Uh, there, there have been cases though where I think actually in Resident Evil, I actually do wonder why this setting was set this way. In the video, it was their object like mesh quality setting, so it was like LOD distance. It was uh, lower on console than I expected, uh, like with mid or whatever, because I on PC <clears throat> was having trouble finding uh, a really good use case for it not for being anything other than the max setting and i guess on the on the pc it was like oh if you have a weak cpu or if you have a low uh, amount of vram available so i do sometimes wonder uh just because you see console settings looking like they're low on pc it's not also uh like sometimes there's a little bit of oversight like maybe they just wanted to port this game really quickly and so they took settings from another platform uh you know there's a lot of reasons why settings could be low or high. It's not always just because that's the only thing the console can do, you know, so.
2: But there do seem to be certain scenarios where it is mystifying why the console is running at a low setting, and the classic the classic one, obviously, is an isotropic filtering, which never seems to have that much of a hit on PC, but always seems to be dialed back on console.
0: Yeah, it's sure very hit or miss there, that's for sure. Um, disappointing though that's one that's one of those minor things that greatly improves the overall visual fidelity of a game yeah and it can it can also massively hurt the visual fidelity of a game if it's set too low so uh yeah but yeah it
1: almost it almost feels like yeah sometimes i wish i mean we don't get this opportunity really often but really cool if developers Brought us in, or people who are also have the same level of appreciation of graphics that we do, uh, to look at their game in the middle of development and be like, just make sure the AF is fine, guys. <laughs> That's what I would We've like. We've
0: done this stuff before in the back, and it's uh, it, it's often useful actually because it it's not trivial to find the right balance, and it does feel like sometimes certain settings are arbitrarily missed or set one way or the other, and uh, yeah, it's just about finding the right balance to get the best performance with the best visual quality, of course. So. Yeah. Uh, but um, what do you guys think? Do you think that's going to do it for now? You wanna I think it? so. Is there any other questions uh, we're missing? I, no, guess? I
2: think we're good. I do like this last question though from Nathaniel Myers. He's saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep asking. He's gonna keep asking, John. What?" What John and Rich's favorite Sega Saturn games are, both Western and Japanese, and he's going to keep asking until the world gets its answer.
0: Man, I need to actually go through the whole library and and write down a list because there's a lot, but to actually pick the best of the bunch, that's difficult. I guess it's, I it's a lot easier time. for
2: me because um, I'm not sort You've of st- a lot less. I, I've, I'm not strictly wedded to the to you know making sure that my answer is entirely. Uh, you know, in- encompasses the entirety of the Saturn library, but uh, if we're talking about Japanese releases, it's always going to be Virtua Fighter two, uh, just because I think it's an incredible port that um, oh, yeah. amazed you can get the get world. To that special
0: feature back in the Sega Saturn magazine. It's just All an inc-
2: incredible game, really. Is at the port that you know, lots of people just didn't think would be possible. I do remember uh, there was. Um, Edge magazine, they were kind of on a downer at the Saturn at launch, perhaps with some justification, saying, yeah, Virtue Fighter 2, it's got to be 30 frames per second. But, you know, they delivered not just 60, they delivered high resolution. It was a brilliant port. And uh, if we're talking about Western games, I'm going to go with uh, Power Slave or Enslaved. Oh, right uh, yeah I which assume. was just an incredible that's, first person game one of the best and um it's the it was the ones that just immediately came to mind when uh western games were being discussed for the Sun. i'm sure there's tons of others both western and japanese that maybe i've skirted over but those are the two that um that, that stand out to me from what was a golden era
0: yeah, I got to think about this more, but the Virtua Fighter is a good is a good shout because the the difference between Virtua Fighter 1 at launch versus what Virtua Fighter 2, like I don't think that's not something you normally see in console space. I mean, they basically quadrupled the resolution, doubled the frame rate, and massively improved the actual visual fidelity in that transition. It was such a gigantic leap it's really uh, an unusual thing to see in the console space
1: john i can't remember if you've actually covered this in a
0: df retro have you what's that no i haven't done it i i, sh- I need to do a Virtua of fighter episode at some point perhaps encompassing the first three games specifically because they're uh they were very cutting edge at the time so that's
2: so we've kind of half-answered that question, John. And so now Nathaniel Myers is going to be asking what John's favorite Sega Saturn games are, both Western and Japanese, and he's going to keep asking that until the world gets its answer.
0: <laughs> well, he'll get an answer soon pre- enough. You know. The pressure's on. <laughs> I'll have to keep that in mind and go through.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You can't just pick up, can't pick just one. can't pick them no. that easily. It's too good. Love the Love the Saturn um but yeah i guess that's gonna do it for this episode of df direct weekly uh so of course thanks to you guys for being here with me always. as always mm-hmm. that was good fun and um, uh, yeah thanks for all the support from our wonderful patrons we're having a great time over there on the discord um some some what one of our our patrons actually went so far as he made and sent uh magnets of pickle rich uh to to us i got him yesterday and looked at it and i just you know the creativity the stuff going on we'll have to we'll have to throw an image in there of that so people can see the glory of it because it's fantastic um <laughs> but it's just it's fun it's a fun place to to hang out and lots of great folks over there and uh yeah so we appreciate that support and uh, checking this video out of course um but yeah if regardless if you're watching this over on youtube as always be sure to like subscribe ring the notification bell you know all that good stuff you can come find us on twitter if you want to chat about anything for the most part um but yeah until next time this is the df crew signing off